Good morning, LifeSpring. So good to be back with you after what feels like it's been a long time. Um, thank you all so much for your prayers and your food and your groceries. Um, during those first couple of weeks where Jesse and I were um, sick, your kindness and thoughtfulness just meant the world to us. Something as simple as leaving boxes of Kleenex at our door. So very much appreciated. Thank you. Today, I get the privilege of walking us through Acts chapter 19. But before we go there, I want to point out something to you that I'd like you all to hold on to as we go through not just this chapter, but the rest of the book of Acts as well. In our Bible reading plan this week, the New Testament in a year, when I saw that we were going into the book of Acts, I was like, can I skip to the next book? I mean, Acts during the week, Acts on Sunday. Um, like, I just want to move on. Then I had, and, and you know, this morning in our prayer time, Pastor Dan was like so excited that we were in the book of Acts. That was not my, my first initial response to it. So I had to have a conversation with myself. You ever have one of those where you start self? So I said, self, do you know that the word of God is living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword and piercing as far as the division of soul and spirit of both joints and marrow and able to judge the thoughts and intentions of the heart? Said all of that to myself. Let's stay with the program and see what happens. And so I listened to myself. And immediately as I started reading, this is so true, the word proved once again to be living and active. As I felt the spirit fan the flame of a thought in my head with the words, new people. New people. So that's what I'm calling my sermon today. As we have gone through the book of Acts, we've gotten used to seeing new people introduced in every story we've gone through so far. But at the start of this book, where we are in our um, reading, in, in our daily Bible reading plan, we see that the characters are familiar ones. They're people who've been with Jesus for years. Peter, John, James, Andrew, Mary, and others. These are people who've journeyed with Jesus through the Gospels, and we've journeyed with them. We have an idea of what their personalities are like and how they view the world. If you were reading the Bible for the first time, you would have no idea that these people were world changers. But reading on, you see that the Lord keeps adding on to their numbers. What started as just a few familiar names was being added on to, sometimes daily, by what? New people. So now as we dig into chapter 19, we see that there are more new names, new characters, the face of the way, the movement that started with Jesus, is now very changed. For the gospel to do the work it is meant to do, that is, to save souls and draw people into relationship with the Father, it can't be held on too tightly by those who know the truth. We have to be ready to welcome new people into the fold to draw them into the good news of Jesus. As Christians, we are never to be satisfied with us four and no more. And I got to tell you that for many years, I was one of those Christians. I was quite content with seeing the same faces at church and in my small group. It felt so safe. 
you know. And then I met Jesse Mendoza. And one of the first real conversations that we had was about this very topic, that churches should have life groups instead of small groups. Because my idea of a small group was that it was limited to only the people who signed up at the beginning of whatever book we were going through. And then it would stay closed until we were done with that book. Jesse argued that instead of small groups, churches should have life groups, where the door is open for anyone to show up at any time. And, of course, I was offended. (laughs) That he couldn't see my point that I wanted the safety of knowing exactly who was going to show up every time to a small group. If you've had any conversation with Jesse, you would know how passionate he is about this topic, about bringing new people into the church. Eventually, I came around to understand that the invitation is indeed for new people. doesn't matter what package we come in with our different beliefs and baggage. The gospel is for all of them, all of us. Discipleship is for all of us. So my assignment for you today as we go through this chapter is to keep your eyes open for the new people that Paul is able to reach for Jesus. We're going to go into chapter 19, and in this chapter we see that Paul has returned to Ephesus. So you can turn with me to your Bibles um, there or on your smartphones or read along on the screen. And I'm going to divide this up into stories because... If you know anything about me, I love the stories. Our first story is, Paul changes disciples of John to disciples of Jesus. Verse 1. It happened that while Apollos was at Corinth, Paul passed through the upper country and came to Ephesus and found some disciples. He said to them, Did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? And they said to him, No, we have not even heard whether there is a Holy Spirit. And he said, into what then were you baptized? And they said, into John's baptism. Paul said, John baptized with the baptism of repentance, telling the people to believe in him who was coming after him, that is, in Jesus. When they heard this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. And when Paul had laid his hands upon them, the Holy Spirit came on them, and they began speaking with tongues and prophesying. There were in all about twelve men. It is interesting that these men said they hadn't heard about the Holy Spirit, even though they'd been baptized into John's baptism. When John the Baptist spoke about himself, he was very clear what his mission was. Matthew 3.11 says, As for me, I baptize you with the water for repentance, but he who is coming after me is mightier than I, and I'm not fit to remove his sandals. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. And in John 1:33 he says I did not recognize him but he who sent me to baptize in water said to me he upon whom you see the spirit descending and remaining upon him this is the one who baptizes in the holy spirit These men had become John's disciples based on the little information they had received Maybe they didn't know yet about the crucifixion the resurrection and Pentecost but with the little they knew they believed that something bigger than themselves was taking place. Paul then told them the part of the story that they didn't know and baptized them in the name of Jesus. And then he laid hands on them to receive the baptism in the Holy Spirit that John had preached about. In the matter of his disciples leaving him to follow Jesus, John the Baptist said, you yourselves are my witnesses that I said I'm not the Christ, but I've been sent ahead of him. 
So this joy of mine has been made full. He must increase, but I must decrease. This was John the Baptist's expectation, that the impact of his life and his words would be to point people to Jesus. We have no way of knowing how many hearts were prepared by John the Baptist, but from these verses, we see that many undoubtedly were. Through Paul, the Lord met these men right where they were with their limited knowledge, and he led them into more truth. Second story, Paul makes many disciples. In the chapter that we looked at last week, Paul told the people at Ephesus, I'll return to you if God wills. Side note, I'm one of those persons that says, Lord willing. I just have this thought, you know, I mean, it might sound old. It might sound like it's from a different time, but it's just this acknowledgement that, you know, I can make all the plans I want, but if it's not in God's plan. So I do say, Lord willing, if the Lord wills. Here he is returned, and he goes to the synagogue to speak to them about Jesus as promised. He does this for about three months, and then he gives up. This is different from what we see just a few chapters before in Acts 13, where Paul leaves the synagogue after two weeks because of the jealousy of the Jews. And in Thessalonica, in Acts 17, after three weeks, when a mob, a Jewish mob, broke up their discussion. Maybe he kept going to the synagogue in Ephesus because some of the people were really interested, asked good questions that demonstrated genuine interest. Verses 9 to 10. But when some were becoming hardened and disobedient, speaking evil of the way before the people, he withdrew from them and took away the disciples, reasoning daily in the school of Tyrannus. This took place for two years so that all who lived in Asia heard the word of the Lord, both Jews and Greeks. And this is what Jesse says about these verses, Pastor Jesse. He says, there are many people who will speak unkindly about Christianity, about Christians, about the church, about a denomination, about some Christian practice or even our beliefs. People will ridicule you. And newsflash, we can live with all of those things and not find reason to be offended. But when people speak evil of Jesus, or he is maligned, then we have a decision to make. And Paul demonstrates that to us. I mean, when our audience debates, argues, maybe, maybe even speaks poorly of Christianity, we can tolerate that and engage with them on the matter of the gospel. But if our audience makes that turn to blaspheming or speaking evil about the name of Jesus, I would argue out of scripture and out of Paul's model that we have an obligation at this point to leave the conversation. To participate in a conversation where the name of Jesus is being maligned makes us party to that conversation. So, Paul found a place where he could teach. He moved his ministry from people who thought they knew all there was to know. He found a place where constructive conversation could take place and he ministered from there. He took those who believed with him and made himself available at a school where so many people passed through they were saved, trained, and sent out to preach, that Luke says that all who lived in Asia heard the word of the Lord, both Jews and Greeks. Story number three, the miracles at Ephesus. See, we're getting through this chapter. There is so much in the next story that I can only skip over much of it briefly. I imagine these verses from 11 to 20 could constitute a great plot for a movie. Because there are miracles, failed exorcisms, 
the supernatural interacting with the natural, magic and the destruction of magic books and spells. Verse 11, God was performing extraordinary miracles by the hands of Paul so that the handkerchiefs or aprons were even carried from his body to the sick, and the diseases left them and the evil spirits went out. Knowing the Ephesians' propensity towards magic, as we'll talk about shortly, it is not hard to believe that they actually used handkerchiefs and aprons that had touched Paul's body to use them to heal diseases and cast out evil spirits. But you know what surprises me? Is that God used the little faith they had, didn't he? To reach them right where they were, just as he has done with us. Imitation, they say, is the best form of flattery. So, of course, there will be imitators. And in this case, exorcists trying to make money using not the name of Jesus, but the term Jesus whom Paul preaches. Seven sons of one Sceva, a Jewish chief priest, were doing this. And the evil spirit answered and said to them, I recognize Jesus, and I know about Paul, but who are you? And the man in whom was the evil spirit leaped on them and subdued all of them and overpowered them so that they fled out of the house naked and wounded. Some of you might read this like me, and immediately questioned, but wasn't there a time when the disciples were, um, they wanted to shut down a man for doing the same thing? He wasn't a disciple, but he was casting out demons in Jesus' name. Jesus' answer in Mark uh, 9, 39 to 40 applies here as well. Jesus said, do not hinder him, for there is no one who will perform a miracle in my name and be able soon afterward to speak evil of me. For he who is not against us is for us. It seems that these seven sons of Sceva were against Jesus. They weren't exercising demons in the name of Jesus who Paul preached because they believed in him themselves. But they were trying to make monetary, um, sorry, take monetary advantage of the power of his name. And there is no authority in that. The demon responded to the state of their hearts and their lack of faith in the name that they tried to take advantage of. So when these seven men ran away naked and wounded, word spread quickly, and it became clear to people that Christianity is an all-or-nothing religion. Confession began to take place. People who had professed Jesus but had held on to their magic practices disclosed this secret sin publicly. Ephesus was a large city known for the use of magic arts. People put spells for protection, health, and safety in expensive little cylinders that they'd wear around their necks. Even now, many of us have beliefs that could align with the Ephesians. In many cultures still today, parents tie a little red band or bracelet around a newborn's wrist to ward off the evil eye, trusting somehow this will keep their babies safe. I'll bring that even closer to home and confess. Recently at work, I had a chance to participate in a game with some co-workers where we were asked three questions. The first was, who would you want with you in the event of a zombie apocalypse? Mm -hmm. Having never watched any zombie movies myself, I thought I needed a good strategist, and so I wrote Sir Winston Churchill. I was surprised when I heard a bunch of people answer Jesus. That answer had never occurred to me. 
It made me realize how much I still put my trust in man, in things other than Jesus, and that I've still got some growing to do. But on a side note, I thank God that even in a fun work setting like that, I could hear him speak to me about an opportunity to go deeper with him. So back when the Israelites had left Egypt and God had performed many miracles on behalf of his people, the word of what was happening spread to other nations around them and it sparked fear. In Joshua chapter 2, verses 9 to 11, Rahab told the two spies who she helped to escape. For we have heard how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea before you when you came out of Egypt. When we heard it, our hearts melted and no courage remained in any man any longer because of you. For the Lord your God, he is God in heaven, above and on earth beneath. Seeing the mighty miracles of God can provoke fear of the Lord and understanding of who he is. And it can bring change in a person. This is what happened when, in addition to all the miracles that God was performing through Saul, the news spread about what had happened to the exorcists. And fear fell upon them all, and the name of the Lord Jesus was being magnified. Many also of those who had believed kept coming, confessing, and disclosing their practices. And many of those who practiced magic brought their books together and began burning them in the sight of everyone. And they counted up the price of them and found it. 50,000 pieces of silver. When people purposefully decide to go deeper with Jesus than they ever have before, it'll take some burning of some things. Idols, fears, even hopes and dreams. Have you ever burned something of value to let it go? What we see here is a profound act of repentance and letting go on the part of the people of Ephesus. The monetary value of these spells going up in flames is monumental. And for sure, that is not lost in all of those who make money off of magic. But there's also the spiritual value of a full turning away from their secret dependence on a supernatural power that isn't the Holy Spirit. The way they used to do things and where they had put their trust before believing in Jesus. It was evident as stated in verse 20. The word of the Lord was growing mightily and prevailing. Story number four. Paul receives direction, but not release. Verse 21 says, Now after these things were finished, Paul purposed in the spirit to go to Jerusalem after he had passed through Macedonia and Achaia, saying, After I've been there, I must also see Rome. And having sent into Macedonia two of those who ministered to him, Timothy and Erastus, he himself stayed in Asia for a while. But hold up. Just a few chapters ago, in 16, we read about Paul's call to Macedonia. A vision appeared to Paul in the night. A man of Macedonia was standing and appealing to him and saying, come over to Macedonia and help us. When he had seen the vision, immediately we sought to go into Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. In that case, they left immediately. Here, though, Paul knows what the next few steps in their journey will be, but it doesn't have what we call the release to go as yet. He makes the preparations, but the sense of immediacy for for himself is not there. He stayed on for a while. I love that Luke provides this illustration. Sometimes we think that because God has worked one way in the past in our lives, that's the only way he's ever going to work again in our lives. Paul shows us that that isn't true. 
Sometimes there is urgency that calls for immediate action. That's happened to me. And at other times, there isn't that urgency. I've experienced that as well. I'm sure you have too. Let's just pray for the discernment to know the difference. And our final story. Story number five, the riot breaks out. And I'm going to summarize it because this goes from 23 to 41. There were people who made a lot of money as silversmiths and craftsmen of idols. Their business was being negatively impacted by Paul's teaching about Jesus and miracles that proved he was speaking the truth. And there was one Demetrius, a silversmith, who was just fed up with it all. So he called a Chamber of Commerce meeting to bring attention to Paul's impact on their finances. To drive the knife of discord deeper, he tapped into their religious devotion to their goddess, Artemis. Of course, if you think about it, the two things were probably the same thing to them. If Artemis were to be dethroned from her magnificence, verse 27, then demand for anything related to her would decline, therefore affecting their bottom line. So the crowd latched onto the religious outcry, shouting, Great is Artemis of the Ephesians. It was a time of confusion. They swarmed into the amphitheater, and the majority of people didn't even know for what reason they were there. Some shouted one thing, and some another. As the mob moved along, they dragged two of Paul's traveling companions, Gaius and Aristarchus, with them. When Paul heard this, being who he was, he wanted to go uh, to the assembly. But he was a man with friends in both high and low places, and he had some rich friends called Ajarchs who repeatedly told him not to go. According to the New Bible Dictionary, the term Ajarch was a very distinguished title given to certain wealthy and highly respected people in this city. They most likely knew Demetrius and the intensity of what was happening in the amphitheater. So he listens to them and to his companions, and he stays away. The confused mob is calmed down and dismissed by the town clerk who who tells them not to risk punishment by the Romans for what he calls a disorderly gathering. That brought an end to this loud but futile riot. And so I'm going to wrap this all up now and call on the worship team to come back up. Luke has told us many stories in this chapter. There are the disciples of John the Baptist who become disciples of Jesus, the conversations in the synagogue that turn confrontational, the school where Paul teaches and disciples new followers of Jesus, the miracles, the exorcists, the burning of magic spells, and the confessions that come with those, and finally, Demetrius's and other silversmiths mob attempt to deport Paul. But there are also stories we don't hear, but that Paul alludes to in his other letters. For example, in Romans 16, 3-4, he refers to Prisca and Aquila, as my fellow workers in Jesus Christ, who, for my life, risked their very necks. In 1 Corinthians 15.32, in defense of himself, he tells them, If from human motives I fought with wild beasts at Ephesus, what does it profit me? We may not know all that he and his team experienced, and he was always a team, while in Ephesus, but what we do know is that he did it all for the new people. For the people who didn't yet know Jesus, For the Jews who knew only the law and the prophets, for the people who dabbled in magic and believed that it would keep them safe and prosperous, for the people who only had a basic knowledge about salvation but were hungry for more, for the wealthy people in this world and for the poor. Many of us in here have been praying for revival for a long time. 
When it comes, and it will come, it won't only sweep in our friends and family that we've been praying for. In the tide will also be people who don't look like us, process life like us, or see, lens, see life through the lens of Christianity. All these new people who, as they come into real relationship with God through Jesus Christ, will change the face of the story of LifeSpring and of all churches. So this is my practical takeaway for you today. A few weeks ago, Pastor Dan asked you, who is your Lydia? I'm going to take that one step further and ask you to pray for yourself, for a renewed mind and heart towards the new people that God is already calling into his fold. The new people are new to us, but they aren't new to the Father. May we see them as he does, remembering that at one time, we were the new people. And with our very presence, we have changed the story for good. May we, as we pray for revival, have hearts open to welcome the new people who don't look like us or sound like us as their leading, as their seeking leads them to Jesus. So if you want to start praying that prayer today, which I encourage you, we have a prayer team that will be available to pray with you. Or if you need prayer in another area or if there's something else going on in your life, take advantage of this opportunity to have someone agree with you and lay hands on you. Thank you for listening, Life Spring. May our hearts become more open to welcoming the new people. And may you all have a blessed week.